There's heaps of times where I've had open sexism. I'm sure there's been heaps of times that I'm not aware of where there's been quiet sexism, unconscious sexism. And and just, yeah, my experience of comments made, you don't look like a scientist. Oh, right. Is that what you do? Okay. Yeah, you're far too pretty to be a scientist. Or, you know, there's lots of every day you see lots of comments like that or you get them yourself and you kind of think, what do young girls and girls in high school think if that's the messaging they're constantly getting? So I'm Dr. Wilhelmina Houston from here at UTS and I work in the School of Life Sciences in the Faculty of Science and my research is looking at chlamydia which is a fairly commonly recognised sexually transmitted pathogen or here in Australia most people might recognise it as a disease of koalas but in fact the majority of our work is on infertility in women and how the pathogen causes infertility in some women and how we might be better able to prevent that in future and treat it. As I started to do more and more research and read more and more articles around the, the major health burdens in the world and kind of get a feel for the lay of, of life, I could see that lots of women's health issues, especially if it's something about the vagina, is kind of like people are kind of daunted by that. You know, it's not commonly talked about, but, you know, smoking causing lung cancer is a comfortable topic for everyone to talk about, for example. And so it just was apparent that it's uncomfortable. People just think, oh, it's just a funny place where funny biology happens, so let's kind of ignore it. During my research years, I guess, is when I became aware of it, but it's increasingly obvious to me that it's such a big issue. A lot of the researchers in my field are men. So there's lots of men who work on the vagina, on sexually transmitted infections and on infertility in women. And even in the medical field, there's, there's many more men at the moment. And I think that lends itself to the broader society problem of we're not using enough of our women. We're not, our culture is not enabling them to get into those careers. We kind of discriminate against them at every step. The stereotypes don't portray women. So I think there's a whole body of things there that, that are contributing to that. Women in academia to be respected at the same level, there's actually published evidence of this, have to be doing more than their male colleagues. There's definitely a culture of the emotional labour being run and controlled and owned by the women and an expectation that the women do that. There's also an expectation that those things don't, aren't really as important as the big blockbuster research paper or the big blockbuster grant. So the problem goes in two ways. One, we expect the women in our workforce to do more of the emotional burden, more of the caretaking roles, more of the service pastoral care, looking after people roles, down to the point that we might expect the women to order the catering for a meeting that's equally attended by men and women. And then, so that costs those women time and it costs them emotional labour, but it also then excludes the men from understanding what some of those deep issues are in the workforce around mental health and wellbeing that perhaps they could change as well because they're the power brokers largely. So it has an emotional burden on those women, it has a time burden, but also then we don't actually reward those things. So those things are valuable, carrying the emotional burden in the workforce, making sure people are well, making sure they're connected, finding out that links need to be made and helping people make those links or collaborations are absolutely vital to the function of our workforce, but we're not rewarding that behaviour as well. So A, I think we need to change the culture that only women are doing it, but then one of the ways to change that is to start to really reward it and recognise that it happens. So my home life is, is pretty fun. So I have two kids. One is, in fact, five today. So two kids, five and under. It's a bit chaotic. It's very busy. The family and academia balance is a really hard road to walk. And it, it is a really big decision to make. But if you want to have kids, you can't compromise that for your career. You have to do it. But yes, it impacts on your career. It does. In science, you're expected to go to conferences. You're expected to be available for collaborations and phone calls at all hours of the day. And particularly if you do lab work, you may have really long time points. So without a supportive home network, 
and a support a village almost, not just one person sometimes, the network, uh, it's very hard to do that. I was very fortunate to travel with my children when they were babies. Both of them went to international conferences. It was amazing and challenging. <laughs> uh, they didn't fly well, as babies don't, but they both, yeah, they both went to conferences. The conferences themselves were really supportive. Now that they're getting bigger, it's actually a little bit harder to be away. And I miss them when I'm away, but I don't, I still make the choice to go away. I just try to keep it to the most important uh, conferences or most important meetings and try to minimize the time. So I travel very quickly. I get that all the time. Who's looking after the kids? How are the kids? How old are they? Oh, are the kids with you at this conference? You know, who's looking after them? And I'm sure that none of the men ever get asked that at the conference. No one ever says, oh, don't you have four kids? Who's looking after them? To the male, to my male peers. Uh, even my male peers are the same age with kids the same age. They never get that, but I get it every time. Everybody thinks differently. If we exclude 50% or 52% of the population or minimize their involvement, we're missing a whole set of thoughts and perspectives that can really influence the productivity and really change the way we think about things. And we do know that men and women think differently to some extent, although that's, you know, obviously there's lots and lots of variability. There's no binary. Uh, we know that when for any particular question, the more diverse people we have in the room, gender and beyond, the better the solutions are. Often they're more cost effective. Uh, often they're much more innovative. And so by not having women such a large representative of our community represented adequately in STEM, who knows what we're missing, but we're absolutely missing a lot of a lot of opportunities, a lot of innovation, um, and a lot of culture, cultural change. University of Technology Sydney has adopted the Athena Swan principles to promote diversity and gender equity in the workplace. Sharing the stories of our female staff members' achievements is part of our commitment to understand their perspectives and enrich our community.